Well, again, good morning to you. It is great to be with you today. Um, thank you for joining us, whether you're here uh, in this space or you're online or you're listening later. Uh, it's just great to, to be with you. I'm thankful that you've chosen to spend part of your week worshiping with us. I wanted to give a really, before we dive into our conversation today, I just wanted to give a brief update. Some of you may have noticed that I wasn't here last week. I hope you didn't notice at all, honestly. But if you noticed I wasn't here, it's because I was in Florida. I know, suffering for Jesus. Um, but I was at a conference. I was working, I promise. And so uh, what I got to be a part of was was really exciting. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about it because we decided at the beginning of this year when we were budgeting uh, to budget some money to go towards Momentum Ministry Partners. Now, if you've been around for a little bit, you know the name Momentum is our uh, youth conference that our Fellowship of Churches puts on every year. Well, two years ago, they started to kind of expand that um, and figure out new ways to do new stuff. And I've, if you've been around for a little bit, you've heard me share this statistic, but maybe you, uh, this is the first time you're hearing it. But back in 2019, they did a study, Barna did a study, uh, that said that in 20 years, 85% of all the pastors in America will be of retirement age. So in 20 years, 85% of all pastors will be of the point where they can just retire. That is also true of 50% of the pastors in 10 years from now, okay? That was before the pandemic, so things have only gotten worse, right? So now we have less and less uh, pastors who are uh, like this. Our church is a very odd context in this, right? I'm 32, Pastor Andrew's 26. So it's very strange, actually, that that would be the case. But what Momentum Ministry Partners has started to do is we've started to think about ways to be able to remedy that problem specifically for our fellowship. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're learning ways using the uh, conference that we've been doing for a long time, using some other avenues like travel teams and the urban centers, and then this cohort that I got to be a part of last week for pastors coming together to figure this out, where we would be able to identify students, teenagers, uh, and what path they want to go on, whether they want to be uh, in full-time ministry, to be able to invest in them, use Grace College as a resource for that, and be able to help them stay in the fellowship and do what they want to do, but not just for kids that want to be in ministry, but kids that want to go into the marketplace. So one of the cool things we're thinking about is, is taking kids that want to go into the marketplace and saying, how do we match them up with other leaders in their church who are also in the marketplace so that we can teach them how to be people in the marketplace who are also leaders in their church and missionaries in the marketplace? And so this is all something that we're starting to do. We're on the very front cusp of that. But I got to sit around with 50 other lead and campus pastors last week to connect together um, to talk about some difficulties that we've gone through in the last two years but then and to strengthen one another so that we stick around, but then also think of ways that we can help people, young people, the next generation really move into our church spaces and be the leaders that we want them to be taking our faith forward. And so I wanted you guys to know that because that's something you're invested in. I'm going to keep you as up to date on that as you can. I only have two trips a year where I get to be, do that um, where I'm away from you, but we're really excited about that. And I want to say thank you to those of you who give because that's part of what we're doing. Um, I want to say thank you for, to the people that held things down. I'm really excited about it. Um, and so if you have any more questions about that, I would love to talk to you about it. But it was a great time uh, to be able to be there. I did have a little bit of fun, just a little bit, but it was a good time to be together. So our conversation today, we've been talking a lot this year about church. That's what we've been talking about. So the first four weeks of the year, we talked about our church, our context, what's important to us. Then we turned the page a little bit and we said, okay, so what are the instructions to churches? And we specifically decided to land in the beginning of 
Revelation. Now, when you think about Revelation, if you're like me, you don't automatically think what churches are supposed to do. You start to think about all the crazy stuff that happens near the, in the second half of Revelation, right? But we've been walking through these seven churches uh, that are at the beginning of Revelation because Jesus is giving very specific information to John. John is relaying that information to the churches, to their specific context, and then also at the end of every one, there's this phrase, and you'll see it today, but there's this, this phrase of, with everyone who has ears, let them hear this. That's Bible talk for this is not just for that church, but it's for the churches, right? This is instructions that anyone can put to use, and it will be helpful. And so I have a map up here. I actually have a laser pointer today. Haha, <laughs> I forgot this every other week, and now it, it magically appeared. Patrick, did you put this up here for me? Patrick's the man. Okay, cool. He remembers things I don't. So we started in Ephesus, and then we moved. Sorry if you're on this side, if you can't see. Uh, Ephesus, and then Smyrna, and went to Pergamum, and Thyatira, and Sardis. And now we're down to Philadelphia. You guys know I had to be the one to take Philadelphia, right? That, was, that, that had to be mine to talk about. But we're going to talk about Philadelphia today. So that is church number six. And we're going to start in Revelation chapter three. So if you have a Bible, you want to open there, you want to turn on your phone. Like I said, you can go to the follow along page on our website. All the verses, all the notes will be there. You can send those notes to yourselves. You can send in a prayer request. You can ask us a question. If you have a really difficult question, please ask it there. Um, and we would love to have that conversation with you. So we're going to start in Revelation chapter three. We're going to be in verse 7. We're going to read all the way through this section that is given to Philadelphia, and then we'll come back and we will work our way through. So Revelation 3, 7 says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Verse 8, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Verse 9, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Verse 12, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. They will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be the citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Verse 13, anyone who he, with ears, this is it, right? Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So we get all this information just for Philadelphia. Now, one of the very interesting things about this letter to the, or this section of the passage to Philadelphia doesn't say they did anything wrong. Usually when we have this conversation, we picked on these other churches, right? There's usually a problem. There's usually something they're doing wrong, something they have to get rid of, something they have to stop. Nothing here for Philadelphia. And one of the things I want to key in on today, because I think Jesus makes some promises, and I want to ask the question, what, what are Jesus' promises that we see in this? What are the promises that he makes to a church that does things correctly? What happens there? And I think this is a question that we ask ourselves sometimes, maybe not just in connection to church, but sometimes we live in a place where there's a, a transactional mind, right? So we think about it and we go, well, if I do this, what do I get out of it? 
right? Or if I do this for you, what are you going to do for me? Or if I spend my time doing this, what's the payoff? And sometimes we, we ask this question. Maybe you ask this question when you decide to follow Jesus. Maybe it was that thought of like, if I'm going to give my life over to Jesus, then I got to know what he's offering me. I think this is a space where Jesus does show up and he does make some big promises, And there is no like bait and switch. I think that what we're going to see today is that this is a very clear representation of if we decide that we're going to be the type of church that Jesus wants us to be, there's some very clear promises that are made. But then that leads us to the next question, right? The next question then would be, what does a church look like that is established on Jesus? One of the things that we say here at GFC is that we are a community committed to establishing every person, every family, every marriage, and every child on the foundation of Jesus. That's a long way of saying we're a church that wants to be founded on Jesus. Why do we say that? Why, that those words are very specific. Why would we not say we want to be a church that is founded on the scriptures? Because the scriptures are founded on Jesus. So we're trying to get down to that base level and say Jesus is the person that we want the buck to end with. That's what we want to focus on. And I believe what Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia, what he's helping us understand from the church in Philadelphia, is that this is what a church looks like that is established on the foundation of Jesus. And so when we look at this, we get to see what does that look like, and then we get to see also what does that mean? What does Jesus offer What does he promise for us if we are willing to do that? So let's work our way back through the passage and we'll see what Jesus has to say. So let's go back to verse seven just for a minute. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can can close. And what he closes, no one can open. There's a very simple understanding here that I want us to get, right? And that is that Jesus has the keys to heaven. Or Jesus has the keys to a right relationship with God. If we go back to the Gospels, Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. If anyone ever says, right, there's another way to God other than Jesus, that's where we go. There is no other way. There's no other thing to establish our faith on. He's the way and the truth like no one comes to the Father but through him. What does that mean? He's, kind of, he's the doorway. He's the way to restore our relationship with God. We're not good enough to do that. None of us is perfect. None of us always does what's right. None of us can make sure that we rack up the right amount of good stuff versus bad stuff. None of us can say enough prayers. None of us can read the Bible enough times. It doesn't work that way. He is the way to get in. So immediately there's this understanding. Jesus is the one saying this. He's the only way to God. He's the one who's having the conversation, and he's the only way that we restore our relationship with God. Let's go on to verses 8 and 9. It says, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Verse 9, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. There's a lot packed in here that kind of helps us understand what's going on for the church in Philadelphia. Verse 8 is is very interesting. He says, uh, you have little strength. That means, honestly, what we think that means, they were a little church. They weren't a big church. They weren't huge. They were this little church, and yet God says, you obeyed my word and did not deny me. 
Part of my weekend, last weekend, was I went to a huge church. We just went there just to learn and kind of see how they do things. The room itself could fit, I think, 2,500 people, and there was about 1,800 people there at the first service, okay? And this was one of, like, I don't know, 10 campuses they had. So this was, this was big. And at times, what we can do is we can sometimes, like, I don't know, we see that and we think good or bad, whether they're that big or not. But then we also see, like, we're, we're little. Like, we, they have money. Like, they have stuff. They have manpower. They have all these things. But what Jesus says to this church, he goes, you have little strength. You are small, but... He says, you have obeyed and you did not deny me. There's no reason to think that just because of size or denomination or whatever, if we're a church that is founded on the person of Jesus, he's going to be on our side. And he goes on to say in verse 9, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. We've talked through this series about the animosity between the Jews and the Christians. The Jews didn't like the Christians at all. They thought they were stealing part of their religion because the Christians would have still held to the Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew, and so there's some animosity there, right? They did not like one another. And Jesus says, listen, they're going to know that I'm on your side. You're not, you're not a giant church. You don't have a ton of power, but you've done what's right. The Jews are going to know that I'm on your side. And Jesus is very clear about this. And so Jesus has already said that he is the door. And so what that says to me is that an open door is an invitation to move. An open door is an invitation to move. So when Jesus says, I've opened the door for you, and you can go, right? I understand you are not a large church. I understand that you don't have all the power in the world. I understand that there's this other group that wants to stop you, that doesn't want you to succeed. He says, the door is open, and no one's going to close it. That, to me, is an invitation to move, right? If you get to someone's door, and you go knocking, whether they're there or not, right, you know they're ignoring you, maybe, <laughs> and they just leave the door shut. You're not going in. You're not going to move. You can move backwards. You can leave. But as soon as they open that door, what does that mean? Keep going. Walk in. Step into wherever you're going. I think that's what Jesus is saying to the church of Philadelphia. You are found on me. You've done what you've, you've done so well. You've not denied me. You've followed my word. Now keep going. Walk through the door that I have opened for you. Let's go back to verse 10. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere... I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, let's, let's pause for a minute, right? Now, now, if you're reading this and you're like me, now you're like, that's what Revelation is, right? There's that conversation about the tribulation and when Jesus is going to come back and all of this stuff, right? And some people would say that this verse does allude to the fact that believers who are around at the time of the tribulation will be raptured either before the seven-year tribulation or in the middle of it. So we do understand that there's going to be that seven years where God judges the world, right? That's going to happen. And Christians, there's three views, right? Either Christians are going to go before, they're going to go in the middle, or they're going to go after. Some people would look at this verse and say, that means because of what it, right? Because you've obeyed my command and persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing. That seems to be it. It's possible. We're not 100% sure that this verse is addressing that issue. But here's what we know to be true about it. When God looks at judging the world, it's going to look different for the follower of Jesus than it is for the non-follower of Jesus. 
We don't know if this is just talking about that tribulation. But when God looks at us, if we are a follower of Jesus, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't just see us. He doesn't just see our sin. He sees Jesus. But if we're not a follower of Jesus, what does he see? He sees the sin. He sees the separation. And so that judgment is going to be different. Now, that's not to say that we ever look at somebody and point at them and tell them God's going to judge you, right? Not necessarily. We can have the conversation about their life and what sin means and all that stuff, right? It's not to set us up to be like, oh, we're better than those people. No, it's, it's really a motivation to say, if I know that this is going to be true for those who follow Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, it's an invitation to say to those other people, hey, this is coming. Let's have this conversation, right? Let me tell you about how you can be on the right side of this. Let me tell you about how you can, when God sees you, he can see Jesus instead of the sin that you've done. There's an invitation here because we know that that judgment is going to be different. Verse 11 says this, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. And then verse 12, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So what, what Jesus builds up here, right? He says, I get it. I know you're not a large church. I know that there's a group of people that's literally against you trying to stop you. But what's coming is going to be good for you. I am on your side, not their side. And these, this verse here that you see on the screens, right? These are the promises. You will be, that you, if you're a victorious, you'll become a pillar, and you will never have to leave, and I will write on you the name of my God, and you will be citizens in the city of God, and I will write also on them my new name. That inspires to me confidence for this church right? You're on our team. You're on God's team. You're going to be established in his temple. You're going to be established in his country. This is where you're going to live. This is all going to turn out well for you. And so guess what? That means to me that stability is an invitation to confidence. Stability is an invitation to confidence. So we said earlier, an open door is an invitation to move, and stability is an invitation to confidence. So not only are we going to, or is the Church of Philadelphia going to step through the door to keep going on the path God has called them to, but they're going to have confidence in what they're doing because of the promises that Jesus has made to them. Now, if we did more study, we don't have a, a ton of time to go into all of this, right? But if we did a study on the Church of Philadelphia and what was going on there, the Church of Philadelphia, or the Philadelphian Christians, were actually plagued by instability. They were actually, their city was on a fault line. And when you go back and you look at the archaeology of, of their city, of their time, just a couple of decades before this letter would have gotten to them, there was an earthquake. And an earthquake back then, obviously, you know, the structures that they built were not built like today, where if you know you're in an earthquake area, there's certain codes and regulations, right, you have to follow so the building doesn't fall down. Their buildings fell down, and they were still there. So they all knew, even if they were born after that earthquake happened, they grew up with ruins, just seeing that there had been an earthquake, and that, that was historically something that would go on there. I've never lived in a place where earthquakes were um, regular. Has anyone ever lived in, like, California or anything like that, where earthquakes were kind of normal? 
Okay, so we're all in the same boat. I only remember one time ever feeling an earthquake. Becca and I were dating at the time. We were at her house, and we're sitting watching TV. And then all of a sudden, like above us on the wall, there was something hanging. Like, I don't know, it was, it it just started to like clang. And like, kind of, and we're like, what is happening? And then we're like, was it an earthquake? Like, we have no idea. We, We couldn't really feel anything. But then we're watching the news, or we're on Twitter or something like an hour later, and they're like, yeah, there was an earthquake. That's the only one I ever remember actually noticing happen. But obviously, the house was fine, right? Nothing fell down. There was just a little bit of noise. But for the Philadelphian Christians, it was normal for them to be a little bit unstable. Again, the church at this time, a little bit unstable, right? You've got two people groups coming after you. You just started. You're in a culture that doesn't accept you. There's a lot of instability there. And I wonder, right, not to read too much of us into this, but Have you felt this way, right? Have you ever felt this instability? Have you ever felt in your faith that you were unstable or in your life that you were unstable and you just weren't sure what was going on? And what I would say to you today is what Jesus offers is that stability. That he gives us this clear example, right? If we follow him, if we are establishing our life on him, the promises he's given are very important for us to hold on to. And that picture, if we, when we go back, we'll go back in a little bit uh, to that last verse in verse 12. But he uses that picture, that word, pillar, very specifically for the Philadelphian Christians because they would have seen pillars knocked down by an earthquake. And he says, you will be a pillar in the temple and you will never leave. That that stability will last forever. As I was processing uh, this and studying this, and I, and I was looking at these promises that Jesus makes to the Philadelphian Christians, I couldn't help but think of another passage in the Gospels that I want to go to. And if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard these verses, but maybe it's the first time you're hearing them today. But in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, they say this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I think it's very important for us to recognize this is the same Jesus talking. Right? Jesus, as he's having this conversation in Matthew, and then Jesus, as he's having this conversation through John in Revelation, same Jesus so what he's saying is, and, and, and the church in Philadelphia would have known these words. They would have had these words and understood that this was something that Jesus says. And so they had decided that they were going to give up what they wanted and to follow Jesus. And because of that, Jesus makes these promises. And I, there are three things I want to pull out of this as we understand the conversation in Revelation. We understand the conversation uh, in Matthew 16. The first thing is, that, is this, that Jesus invites us to go with him on a journey. And I think I've said this to us before, but a, a relationship with Jesus is not just a one-time decision that stays there, right? It's this continual following of him. In Revelation, he says, the door is open. So guess what? Walk through the door. Keep going. In Matthew 16, he says, I invite you to pick up your cross and follow me. It's not a one-time thing. It's not one day I decide and then I'm done. It's that one-time decision 
but it's a continuation of following him and continuing to move forward. So guess what? That means we have to take the steps forward. We have to continue to pursue Jesus and not just stay in the place that we are. That's a difficult thing. You ever, like, you can do, uh, you can have a good habit for one day. It's hard to have a good habit for two weeks or three weeks or a month or a year, right? You can do it one time. That's easy. But continuing to do that is the difficulty. And so Jesus calls us to that. And for the Philadelphian Christians, that meant continuing against the persecution they were feeling, continuing to do this, even though maybe they would have been tempted not to follow him as closely. The second thing is this, that Jesus doesn't promise physical safety, but eternal assurance. Notice that Jesus, as he's having a conversation with the Philadelphian Christians, he never says, oh, and your day today is going to get better. He doesn't say it. He just says, you keep going, and here's the promises that are coming. And all of those promises were in the next life. So guess what? Sometimes it means that when we follow Jesus, it's not always going to mean that life is necessarily easier. In fact, many times it's not going to mean that. But what we know is that we're going to have that assurance in eternity. And here's, here's why we get tempted, right? Because, or maybe, maybe I'll just talk about me for a minute. I get tempted, right? Maybe you can identify, though. That I feel like I can maybe take care of stuff on my end, right? Like, I can do the things I know I can do. I can make sure I have this or have that, or I can care for this or make sure this gets done, right? I can handle the stuff on my end. But what I don't know is what's coming next, right? I don't know what it's like when I leave this world and head to the next one. And so we get tempted to kind of exist in this world without God because, again, maybe I should talk about me. I get tempted to exist in this world without God because I'm, I feel sufficient at times to take care of what I need to take care of. But what Jesus says is, first of all, that's wrong. <laughs> you should follow me instead. Second of all, what Jesus is promising is for the space that none of us know how to take care of. We don't know what to do with that, right? I know that when I die, I can't take any of my stuff with me. So nothing I've done here necessarily is going to prepare me for there other than my relationship with Jesus. And so we have to recognize that what he offers us, the eternal assurance, is something that we could never, ever, ever do for ourselves. And yet he gives us these promises if we are continuing to follow him. And the third thing is this, that chasing Jesus is safer than pursuing my own desires. Desires are good. Right? What we have passions for, what we have giftings for, what we have the desires to do. They can be really good stuff, right? You desire to start a company, that can be awesome. You decide, or you desire to go to college, that can be great. You desire to get married and have a family, that's awesome. Those are not bad things, but we have to learn to put Jesus at the center of that, right? Remember, Jesus is the foundation of that. And so if, if he's not in that, or he's not in the foundation of that, then we've missed it. We don't see it exactly as it should be, but what Jesus says is you can gain the whole world but not but lose your soul, right? You can gain the whole world but lose your soul. He says, what good is that? But if you pursue me, if I'm at the center of your desires, that's going to be good. You know, I, I said this kind of already, but I want to I like bounce back to this. That the way is not easy, but Jesus' promises are good. You know, I, when I was a student pastor um, at Gateway, 
I'll never forget, I took a group of kids uh, on a trip, on a fall retreat, up to a camp called Spruce Lake. Actually, Pastor Andrew uh, lived there for a while. His dad worked there. Um, I don't think it was at the same time this time. But anyway, I had been there a few times before. I'd gone in middle school and high school. And there's a mountain that you can climb, and there's a pretty cool lookout on top. And it's, it's, it's a tough climb, but it's not terrible. So like, if, you, if you're in decent shape, like you can do it. And so many of the kids were like, oh, yeah, we're in. Let's go. And I'll never forget that uh, Pastor Scott Feather, who's the lead pastor at Gateway now, his daughter Rayleigh was on this trip with us as an eighth grader. Now, she was an eighth grader, then she's getting married this summer. That makes me feel really old. But she was on the trip with us. And at the very beginning of the hike, she kind of looks at me and just goes, what color do I need to look for? Because she knew, right? You look at the trees, you see the marking on the trees, and you'll be able to get up to the top. She just goes, what color do I need to look for? And I told her, I don't know, purple. I don't know what color it was. So she goes... I can see her the whole time, but she's leading the pack. She, she's never been on, on this trail in her life, and she's just going. I'm in the back making sure that every kid doesn't, you know, kids don't get lost. You know, I'm making sure we're good. I can see her, but she's like 70, 80 yards ahead of me, and she's just going. Here's the thing, right? Rayleigh, Rayleigh didn't know this trail, but what did she know? She knew what to look for, and she knew I was behind her. So she knew as long as she stayed where she was supposed to go, even though she didn't know what was coming, she didn't know what was going to be a challenge to her, she just knew, okay, if I go this way, I'm good, and Corey's behind me, I'm not going to get lost. I think the same is true for us as we walk through this journey in our spiritual journey and as a church. Jesus doesn't give us the roadmap. He doesn't tell us what's coming next right? Would have been really nice like five years ago if he was like, you got three years to get ready for this pandemic, right? That would have been great. Didn't happen. (laughs) He doesn't tell us what's around the next corner, but he does tell us, I'm with you. You're going with me. You follow the trail, the, the ideas that I marked out, right? The markers that I've given to you, you'll be okay, even though we don't know what's around the next corner. And so Jesus says, Step through the door, continue on the journey, and be confident because of the promises I've made to you. What could be around the next corner could be the end of our earthly life. And yet, Jesus' promises are still true. So even when we find ourselves in the most dire of situation, his promises do not change. I want to go back to verse 12 one more time for these promises, because they're so stinking good, right? All who are victorious, all who are followers of Jesus will become pillars in the temple of my God. Stability, and they will never have to leave it. We will be in the presence of God forever and never have to leave. You could stop there, and that would be a good promise, right? But he keeps going. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. It means anyone that looks at us will know who we belong to. God will know. Jesus will know. We will be established there. This is, this is the next, next place, right? I can't prepare for this other than I can follow the markers Jesus had for us, right? Do this, do that, right? Follow his life. And I know, no matter what I step into, that his promises are true. Here's the difficult part. Carrying a cross is a constant conflict of interest. Carrying a cross is a constant conflict of interest. 
It's very easy to pick up the cross one day and put it down the next. It's very easy for me, like, oh, yeah, I did, maybe I feel like I did good looking like Jesus today, and then the next day I'm just, like, way off the deep end, right? It doesn't, we can say all this and be like, oh, the promises are good, the promises are good, and they are. But every day there's this constant conflict of interest where Jesus says, carry your cross, and my flesh says, nope, don't want to. Don't want to go on this path. I'd rather go over here. I don't want to follow Jesus. I want to follow me. I want to pursue my own interests, not his. And so there's this, there's this space where we have to find what is it? How do I make that constant conflict of interest go away? It's never going to disappear completely, but how do I lean into the cross carrying rather than the putting down of the cross? Notice Jesus didn't say just like, like, I think if I made the analogy, I would be like, pick up your football and follow me, right? Or something like that. Small, easy, not hard to carry. Jesus is like, this is a big, heavy thing that's going to bump into everything when you try and walk around, right? It's a conflict of, it's, it's the difficulty, it's the tension of who we are. And yet, the Philadelphian church found a way to do it. That when Jesus addressed them, he said, keep going. The door's open, no one's going to close it, and I am with you. My promises are true. And so in summation, what is the promise that Jesus made? A church or person, and I think this is fair because the church is just a group of people, a church or person established on Jesus will have an open door to change the lives of those around them. If we are truly following Jesus, we have the opportunity to share something with others that could change their life. We're not going to do the work to change their lives, right? We're not the ones who are going to save them or anything like that, but we have the opportunity to share something with them that could change their life. And the Philadelphian church found a way in a culture that didn't like them as a small little church to say, we're going to hold on to Jesus, we're going to continue to follow him, and we're going to believe his promises. And in so doing, we're going to have the opportunity to change the lives of those around us. So here's the challenge, okay, for us today. What open door has Jesus given you, and how will you use it? Where's your open door? It could be different for all of us, right? We know different people. But if you are a follower of Jesus... I believe there's opportunity to share Jesus with other people. There's an open door there that Jesus has given us. Now, here's where it gets difficult. If you're thinking, you're like, I have no idea where my open doors are. Well, two things. First of all, pray for them. If you're not praying for those open doors, if we're not actively praying for people who don't know Jesus, we're missing it. We should be. We should be praying for those things, asking God to give us opportunities. And the other side is, if you're not sure or you're not uh, positive that you are a follower of Jesus and that these doors are open to you, then the conversation is different. Let's have a conversation about knowing Jesus. Let's have a conversation about making sure that those promises Jesus just made to the Philadelphian church can also be promises to you. But if we're followers of Jesus, if, we're, if we are a church, right? We think about this as a church context. If we are a church that is established on the foundation of Jesus, that means there are doors open to us that Jesus is calling us to walk through. There's a journey he's calling us to take, and we are continuing, should continue to follow him, to look more like him. And so I would challenge you this week, pray about this. Ask God what those open doors are that you're supposed to walk through. Could be family members, could be your kids, 
could be your coworkers, your classmates, whoever it is. But be ready for those open doors to come and be willing to walk through them. Why? It can be scary to walk through them. You don't know what's on the other side, right? We don't know what's coming up around the bend. We don't know what's happening on the trail. But that's where Jesus, Jesus promises come in. We know what he has promised us. We know that those promises are never going to go away. So even if we share Jesus with somebody and they laugh at us, Jesus' promises don't change. Even if we share Jesus with somebody and they just outright reject us, Jesus' promises don't change. If we try and, and be the church and we get excited about an event or something like that and we show up and people just go, nope, we don't want your help because you're a church. Jesus' promises are still the same. Those rejections never feel good, but every once in a while, right, there's a yes. There's an opportunity. There's someone who decides to follow Jesus. And on those days, the promises seem even more real, don't they? But we've got to remember that those promises are always true. So let's be like the church in Philadelphia. Let's be like the church that's going to walk through the doors God gives us. Let's be the church that even in the difficult times, we don't know what's coming next. We just say, you know what? We're going to rest in the promises that Jesus has given us and just continue on and have confidence in those things. Let's pray together before we sing our last song. Jesus, we, you know, we are just, I'm grateful that we have these scriptures to go back to um, and to learn from the messages to these churches that you gave over 2,000 years ago that we can look at what they did, how they did it, what your encouragement was to them. And then you say at the end, he, everyone with ears should hear what I'm saying to these churches and that we can look at that information and say that if we do follow you, if we're established in you, we're going to have the ability to claim these promises as our own. And I ask that you would make those doors that you've opened for us, I ask that you'd make them astoundingly clear that you would bring someone to mind or bring an opportunity to mind that you're just saying, hey, this is part of the journey. Walk through the door that I've opened for you because no one can close it. And I ask that you would give us confidence in those things to say, we know that in the next life we are taken care of, no matter the struggle that's gonna come, we can rest in those promises that you've made to us. In Jesus' name, amen.